0: What up, what up fam? It's Lisa Schlossberg, your host. Thank you for being here. I we have put together an Out of the Cave Journal Prompt book for you. So, this is complete with 50 plus journal prompts with the intention to really as always use whatever's coming up in your relationship with your body with food, etc., just to really get to know yourself and heal yourself on a deeper level. So as many of you have already heard and know about my story, journaling has been a huge tool for me along the healing path that I continue to walk. And so I wanted to put this together for you. Um, If you've done the journal challenges in the past, you probably know how powerful this can be as a practice. So that is now officially up and for sale on the website all of the information that you need follow the link will be in the show notes and if you have any questions about that as always please feel free to let me know okay we're back welcome back to the out of the cave podcast this is me your host lisa schlossberg and i am as usual excited to be here because this is again Another interview where I have been, (laughs) I have been following for a long time, like a very long time, (laughs) this person that is sitting with me today. And this is the first time that we are connecting like in real life together. I mean, you know, for this conversation, we've been in each other's DMS, I think for a while now commenting on each other's posts for a while now, (laughs) but we're finally here to have this conversation. So it's another one of those. I'm excited that you're here because I know you have a lot to offer. And I know that just from following you and being, you know, in your corner of the internet. So anyway, that's what we're doing here today. I will have you introduce yourself, Lara. Thank you for being here. How do you introduce yourself?
1: Hello. Um, yeah, just like reiterating how excited I am to be here. Um, face to face in real time. So I don't even remember how we got connected, but I'm Lara Days and I am a I always change my title. I know. I'm certified intuitive eating counselor, always. Um, holistic health and life coach sometimes. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. I coach F45. I am a health and wellness pro, not to be confused with a health and wellness influencer. Uh, very, very different. Um, and I'm in Dallas. I'm jealous that you're in San Diego. It's one of <laughs> Our favorite places. My husband and I are manifesting a home on Coronado Island. So one day we'll be neighbors. Amazing.
0: <laughs> cool. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's so funny. So you didn't even mention the word personal trainer. No.
1: So I actually don't do one-on-one training.
0: Right. Anymore. I'm a certified
1: personal trainer. Yes. But I really just use that. Um it was it was a COVID project. I was yeah. <laughs> all, all those certification programs were like, buy one, get one free. And so I did my sports nutritionist and personal training certifications during COVID. And really, it was just so that I could learn a little bit more about the body to better help my, my health coaching clients. Yeah. Um, and then I got a job coaching at F45, which I needed my personal training certification for. Got but you. I did one-on-one training. I've never done one-on-one training. I wrote programming for my husband one time, and I was like, wow, I really didn't enjoy doing that. I'm never doing it again. <laughs>
0: amazing I think that's okay so that's really interesting and cool because I know I mean very similarly like I can relate to having like a bunch of different titles and like you know changing the Instagram bio like every few years or whatever it is but in my head I still for whatever reason like I think of you as like personal training or like fitness but but I also know that again very similarly and like I can really relate to Using that as part of a really holistic approach and using that as, you know, having just a more kind of expanded view of the human being. And so, again, I think that's part of the reason I'm excited to talk to you because, in a lot of ways, we align in that way of like personal training, holistic health coaching, kind Ah. of all of the stuff. So, anyway, that's who we're talking to today. Thank you for that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, before we get into you know, the rest of it, I would love to hear about just like your story of arriving where you are doing what you do. Where did this begin for you?
1: Yeah. So I always, (laughs) I laugh when I answer this question a little bit, because I think so many of my friends and colleagues in this space have like this really impactful kind of like rock bottom story that got them doing what they do now. And that is totally not my situation. I really kind of like stair stepped my way here. So, to go, I'll I'll do the a long story short ish. I always was involved in sports and music from like a very very young age. So I went through school, you know, running from musical rehearsal to show choir to tennis practice to my private violin lessons and just was like doing all of these things. I was in orchestra. I played softball. You know, you name it. I did it except for soccer and basketball. <laughs> Those were not my jam. But when I went to college, I went to a, a conservatory of music and kind of thought that I was done with athletics. And realized then that I really didn't know how to work out. I was like getting on the elliptical for an hour and was like, cool exercise. Cause it was my first time not doing organized sports. And my junior year of college, I actually got an email from the softball coach saying that she had a need for a body and had heard a rumor that I played softball in high school. So I was the starting right fielder, you know, the position where they put like the, the worst player on the, yeah, that was me for my junior and senior years. And it was, it was great. I actually really enjoyed, it was a reminder of how much I loved team sports. And when I went to grad school, that was when I really was like, okay, well now there's no possibility that I'm playing on a college sports team. So I started doing yoga. I started running. I was poor. So I was like, I can't really have a gym membership. And grad school is where I started kind of experimenting with like how to take care of myself, which also was really frustrating because how did I get through? Granted, it was D3 college sports, but like, how did I get through college sports not knowing how to work out on my own and how to feed myself? So, I again, like, abridged version started doing some CrossFit, ended up moving to Texas actually eight years ago today on recording day. I moved to Texas Congrats. and Yeah. And like, that's when social media kind of started blowing up a little bit more. And I just was sharing my journey on Instagram, again, competing in CrossFit. I did some Olympic weightlifting and in 2018 and 2019, people started asking me if I could help them. And I was like, no, like I don't have any, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just playing around and experimenting. And people kept asking, and so finally I was like, you know what, I would love to learn more about nutrition. I'll do a certification program. So I did my precision nutrition level one, and I started coaching people. Now I studied music and music education in college and graduate school, so I had a pretty good grasp on teaching Coaching is not quite the same, and so I was kind of just emulating what my coaches had done with me, and unfortunately, I, I shouldn't say all my coaches were bad. They were not all bad, but some of them were not. Um, masters of their craft, let's say, and I realized pretty quickly when I started working with clients that like they were all hitting a wall, and there was something deeper going on. And it didn't matter how many macros we tracked and how many steps they took; like we just weren't getting to the real shit. So, about a year into coaching, um, so this would have been 2020, I was still I was teaching uh, middle school choir at the time, but halftime. And so during COVID, when I was mostly at home and like trying to wrangle middle school choir kids online, I started really focusing on shifting a little bit into like digging deeper with my clients. And that turned into what is now a an intuitive eating certification and a lot more work in um, trauma-informed care and diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and like just a much More robust and meaningful practice. And so that's why I say I kind of stair stepped my way here. Like it really was just kind of trial and error and observation and realizing that, like, this quote unquote nutrition coaching was not really helping people. And I wanted to go deeper with them. (laughs) So now I'm really getting to the nitty gritty of like, where did this come from? Why do we have these body image issues? Like, why do you really think you need to lose weight? Like, do you need to lose weight? Or do we just need to shift some other things? Right? Like, what is it you're really looking for? Um, And so that kind of brings me to where I am now.
0: Amazing. Wow. (laughs) Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, for sure. I'm so lit up by every part of this for multiple reasons. Uh, (laughs) Probably A, I mean, you're just like, you're so like vibrant. Like it's so fun to just just sit and listen to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) And so there's that part. There's also the part of just like how much I personally relate to this. That is. I, you know, whatever. I have my whole weight loss story and that's really, you know, like it's, that's where it began for me, but I really get the kind of like stair stepping from one thing to another. And it sounds very similar to the way that I, I mean, I started as a personal trainer. Similarly, I was like, I don't know. I just love working out and I love helping people. So that's what that means, you know? And I started there. And then as you're saying, it's like, I remember thinking to myself, like, we could do all the sit-ups in the world and you could like eat all the vegetables in the world, but the real blocks are mental, emotional, social, spiritual, you know, like there's so much more to the human, right? And just, I love the the term stair-stepping because that's kind of what it felt like was just like, I always go back to the quote of like, follow your bliss. And it just kind of like kept evolving and developing and like, yeah. And now, you know, we're here doing like what feels like the real, the real shit, as you say. So a hundred percent, but okay. Before before, (laughs) I have, this always happens. I have a million follow-up questions, but the first thing is, I don't think I knew that you had this background in music. Mm. So I just have to know what instrument did you play growing up?
1: (laughs) Okay, so my first instrument was piano. I started playing piano when I was four. Okay. I joined my first choir in fourth grade and then I started playing violin in sixth grade question mark fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, and most of my most of my training was voice and violin
0: mm, very cool.
1: Are you also a musician?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was my my okay. whole like, my the safety in my childhood came from being in the band wing like I was like that kid so I I was I I played the oboe and I was in band I was in orchestra I was in wind ensemble I was in every everywhere you could put an oboe I was there
1: um I love
0: I was an all-state oboe player in high school in New York yeah and like that's that's just a little tidbit of my life but but the reason I, I, again, just it's so cool because I grew up thinking I was going to be a music teacher for a long time. When I was a kid and I, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. It was yeah. a similar, like, I love music. I love this instrument. And I, when I was applying to colleges- I had like a handful that were potential music opportunities. And then I had a handful that were like more liberal arts. And that's where very similarly for a lot of people, it's music and sports where it's like, that's like the deciding moment. It's like, you have to know, you know, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Do you want to? And I remember my band teacher at the time being like, do you want to sit in a practice room for eight hours a day? Because if you don't like. Don't do this. this. Is, right. Like this is this yeah. is what this life is. Uh-huh. And I remember I had a really hard time with it, but I ended up, you know, going liberal arts and you know, yada yada, then the rest is history. But it's just so cool because I share that, like a lot of that. That was like I thought my life was gonna be music and music yeah. education for a really long time. So, so anyway, cool. I love that. <laughs>
1: yes. Okay. Also, I like yeah. to point out that this is the at least third, like third the time that I can think of where I've like spontaneously been recording a podcast or speaking on a summit or guest coaching with someone. And they're like, wait, you're a musician. I'm a musician. I have like other singers and other violinists and other piano players. And like, I think it's so interesting. And I wonder if there's something, this is like a a story for another time. And maybe I'll go down a rabbit hole when we're done recording. But I seriously wonder if there's some sort of like Skill or like something intuitive that musicians cultivate that like yeah. leads to doing this type of work.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool because again, like this, we could totally rabbit hole this because I think I think about this a lot. And for me, curious to hear your thoughts. Okay, we're 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 going in this right. We're going to side, but we're going to sidebar here really quick because <laughs> for me, I've you know I like psychoanalyze everything about myself and my childhood, and I have like a couple things. One is. I think music. So music is really cool because of how it, how it like operates in our brain, in that it's very, it's right brain and left brain, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the music is quote unquote right brain, but then the, the, the beat, the tempo, the rhythm, like, yeah. And like, so, so it's one of the, I think, very few things that can really use like many parts of the brain at the same time, which is why it's really uh, powerful and valuable for just like child development, which is why, you know, when it's, when it's a question of like, should we have music programs in school? I'm like, Oh my God, you know, for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah. So there's, so there's that, which I think is interesting. But then the other thing for me personally is that so growing up and this kind of relates to my own like weight as a kid, but growing up, I was very, in denial and in dissociation in relationship with my body and life and feelings and emotion and I was so committed to quote-unquote not feeling things and I was like the strong tough one that like didn't you know just (laughs) didn't experience vulnerability or sensitivity as far as I was concerned
1: are you an Enneagram eight
0: I'm so, oh my God, that's okay. That's another one. So I am, no, no, it's funny because (laughs) anyone who's listened to this podcast knows we've had a couple episodes about the Enneagram Uh and I've had someone tell me that I'm an eight, but when I take the test, I identify more as a three, but I'm, I'm like a, I'm like, it could, it's, to me, it feels like it depends on the day, you know, but they're very similar and they get mixed up very often. So like, I I have a lot of eight tendencies. Are you two? Okay. Are yeah, you? Reading? Reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So for, again, anyone who's listening, not familiar, what that basically means is like exactly this is like we will go to lengths to avoid feeling vulnerable and you know, sensitive and all of that stuff. But I say all of that because my theory now is that music and band was like the only space where there was some connection to something that was not logical and like brain oriented or you know it was it was I think it was a space where I could feel something and I remember like do you know um Eric Whitaker
1: um I'm obsessed (laughs) with Eric Whitaker (laughs) actually so this is like (laughs) high (laughs) school crush
0: okay literally so it it, like again this is why it like lights me up so much because it's like you like no right but so Eric Whitaker is a composer brilliant and you know the song October? I knew you were gonna say it's- this.
1: Yeah, it's so it's-, one of, it's like I wasn't ever really into wind ensemble because I played string instruments and sang, but like literally that piece, dude, favorite wind ensemble piece.
0: Okay, so you will know that October has an oboe solo in the beginning. It like base, it's like the biggest thing. Okay, so mm-hmm. anyway, so I long story short, my high school was like a part of this thing. We had an incredible band. We had an incredible music department, uh, and we got to play at Carnegie hall and I got to play motherfucking October in at Carnegie hall. And I was the, I was the first chair oboist. I love it. It was was like the most, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life, but it was something that like, you know, when I think about uh, you know, like The Planets by Holst, which I got to play in all county and all state. Okay. There were some pieces of music that I could just put on and like allow myself to actually cry to and re- like feel, like feel in my body, in my soul that at the time I would not even admit that there was such a thing, you know? And so I think speaking of, you know, how did we get to where we are and does music have anything to do with that? For me, that was i think the literal only place that i experienced any vulnerability with myself or with other people and you know not to mention the 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 discipline of showing up and being seen and insecurities and like all the stuff that comes with being a musician but but i think that's what it is for me is that it really connected me to my you know my my soul and spirit in a way that nothing else did. And again, I didn't even know what the time was happening. You know, it was just oh, kind of sure. like an, an inkling of like, oh, I guess I have feelings. And then I would pack up my oboe and put them away, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's yeah. So I think that's it.
1: <laughs> I'm totally going to jam out to October after we were done. <laughs> recording. Um, I love that. I also, I'm really glad you said that because my train of thought when I take myself from like how did I get from there to here is I think partly that and I also think there's something to be said for as a singer our body is our instrument yeah and there's like a very different relationship that we have with our body and like it feels really personal when you're getting feedback on how your voice sounds because it's like, that's literally the, like, I can't go buy a new one the way that I can go buy a new violin or new oboe. Right, This is all I have. And unfortunately, um, and I think this is the same with like straight theater and acting, but there is so much fat phobia in the opera and classical singing space that like Some of my clients are opera singers who had eating disorders because of opera and like being told that they would never be successful unless they lost weight. And so um, I I just appreciate you sharing that because sometimes I'm like, what? It it feels like a waste, right? When people are like, oh my God, you spent all this money going to music school and like you don't even use what you learned. And I'm like, well. Sometimes it feels that way, but also like I use so much of what I learned. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's a really good point. I remember even in high school. So I took AP music theory, which was the hardest thing ever. I remember them being like, it's chemistry, physics and music theory are the hardest APs there are. And I remember, so I had to sight sing, which for me, Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, the only way that I know how to play is to like push buttons. Like I I have to use my voice. Like I was so thrown and it was terrifying oh my god that was like one of the scariest things is sight singing in front of my (laughs) class I was like a voice is an instrument I was just so I really I get you know I get that to a degree but I think that's a really important point um Mm -hmm. and I appreciate you sharing that so okay again we could we could forever this but (laughs) it's what it also brings me back to though is you segued into the other question that I had is so as a kid you were athletic. You played sports like from the beginning. So, what I'm also curious about is like what was it like for you as a kid in relationship with your body? What was, mm. you know, how did how did being a singer and being an athlete, what was what was it like for you in your body growing up?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I I don't really recall ever thinking about like thinking consciously about being in my body or like experiencing having a body. And I think that's pretty common um, to the point where like most of my clients don't think about it until we start working together. But I I had an interesting experience as a kid because I was very small, um, both in terms of height and weight. And so I was going to see the pediatrician and clocking in at like the fifth percentile for weight and the 10th percentile for height. And they would like, have my parents leave the room and ask if I was eating, they'd be like, are your parents feeding you? Right. And so like, I, that made me feel weird about my body in a very different way than overweight kids. Right. And like really the questioning is just as fucked up. Like, well, are you overeating? Like, no, you don't. Anyway, again, could yeah. go down the fucking rabbit hole there. But so my, my thoughts about my body were like, I did, I did understand that, that fat kids were treated differently. And so I knew I had some sort of advantage being in a small body. And I still thought that there was something wrong with it because it wasn't the right size, right? Like, right. It wasn't the right size. I was really, I was one of the last people to get my period and grow boobs, and like, so I, I kind of was just disassociated from it. Like, it was my tool. Like, it's how I played sports. It's how it, taekwondo was my first sport, really. So like, it's how I did taekwondo, and it's how I played piano with my hands. But there was never really a connection to it. Like, I couldn't tell you how emotions felt in my body. Right. I could tell you I was mad, but I couldn't tell you where in my body I felt that anger. Um, so yeah, like pretty checked out really until recently, like last yeah. five years, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree with you. I think it's very common. A lot of people don't realize that they're living in a, in a body, <laughs> you know, like it, it's just, it's just how we exist and we forget, or are just never really, it's never really brought to our attention. And for a lot of people in this community, especially, it's like, how did you know that you were living in a body? Well, my doctor put me on a scale and then my doctor made a comment about my weight. And, yeah. you know, and I think it's just really also important to honor exactly what you're saying. That is like overweight, underweight, like it, it you still have the uncomfortable experience of questioning is something wrong with me from a very yeah. young age. Totally.
1: Now, I will, I will share too, that I had a, a huge advantage of having parents who were very secure in their bodies. And so, you know, there, a lot of stories are, you know, the doctor saying something's wrong with your body and then your parents saying, oh, well, the doctor said something's wrong with your body. So there's your body. And like, I did not have that experience. I was very lucky that my parents were like, Nope. You're like, your body's fine. Like you're growing. You're just a late bloomer. Right. Is what I would hear. Like, you're just a late bloomer. Um, and they assured me that my body was fine and like, they were very comfortable. I I didn't realize as a kid that it was weird to like see your parents naked, but like they had no shame about their bodies and that made it so that my sibling and I also had no shame about our bodies. So they were able to kind of, counteract what the pediatrician was telling me, but it is so interesting that like those conversations in the pediatrician's office stuck so hard. Like, first of all, that I was too small. And second of all, that I needed to drink milk. And that was apparently the only place to get calcium. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like that blows my mind still yeah. thinking about the fact that like milk had advertisements in the pediatrician, oh said, like God. you have to either take a calcium supplement or drink milk. Well, fast forward, I am intolerant to dairy and I was being force fed something that made me sick, but you know, whatever, it's fine.
0: That's the Western medical model for you.
1: Something else that was wrong with my body. Right, right,
0: right, right. right. <laughs> well, okay. I also really appreciate that because this is something that's come up in a couple of my groups where uh, I will have clients or just people in this community who are struggling with. They're bringing their kid to a pediatrician, right? And then having the pediatrician do that whole thing about like the BMI and overweight and all this stuff. And I want to really highlight what you're saying, because this is what I tell them. And I know it to be true. That is when you're a kid. And again, this is overweight, underweight, whatever, whatever. If a doctor is making a comment about your body What inevitably happens, because again, we're still young enough that we're not separating our body from ourselves, right? Uh So what happens is now we feel like there's something not just wrong with our body and our weight, but it means fundamentally something is wrong with me, right? And so then that's the perspective that we start to see the world through and ourselves. And so- I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole of what that means just for the brain science of the stress that it causes and how unsafe it feels to be in a body that feels defective based on what your doctor is telling you, which, you know, being a young person, seeing someone in a white coat telling you that you're doing something wrong is its own psychological experience. But the thing that's really important about this to me is what you just said, that is your parents could counteract what the pediatrician was doing. And the way that the pediatrician made you feel. And I think that's really, really important for anyone who's listening to this because a lot of people listening to this have children. And this is exactly what comes up in the group is I know what it feels like to go to the doctor and have that experience. And like you're saying, like I had a different, right? My kind of experience with the other way. That is then we would get in the car and my parents would talk about, okay, so now it's time that we're you know, the pediatrician had to write me a note to go to Weight Watchers when I was nine years old. And, uh-huh. and that's what we did, you know? And so what I'm saying is if you are the parent, you have an incredible amount of power in how that conversation affects your child, because mm-hmm. it could be the difference between like, usually the way that I see it is the kid's going to go in there and have a shitty experience with the doctor, no matter what, but what happens when you get back in the car when it's mm-hmm. just you and your kid, right? You have a lot of power in your hands and you have the opportunity to look at your kid and say, hey, I know that that really sucked, okay? But I am on your team yeah. and there is nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. You are not defective. You're, you and your body are exactly as they are meant to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then it shifts the dynamic from you know the experience I had, which felt like my parents were teamed up with the doctor to you and your parent kind of against the doctor. And yeah. at least then we're creating a lot of safety between parent and child because that's that's all we ultimately need. And yeah. so it's just, it's I'm so glad you said that because it comes up really often. And I think we forget, we have a lot of power and opportunity to consciously choose how we respond to the person in the white coat saying the things. Right. And it's totally okay to be like, actually, no, actually Mm -hmm. everything's okay here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of people don't realize that like my clients who are grown will be like, wait, I can question my doctor. And I'm like,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was like, you can fire your doctor. I'm like, you're the one. Literally. I'm
1: like, you can, you are the The they are the service provider, like you are the recipient of a service. And if you do not like the service, you can hire someone else, you can ask questions, you can tell them that you're not getting on the scale, like you can say whatever you want. And I think you know, something else that I'll just point out about the experience as children is like, how often are they at the pediatrician? Not very often, right? So, like even if that's not a great experience. And I will say that I think most of my memories of going there were positive. I just like really remember being told that I was too small repeatedly. Um, But you're with your parents so much more than you're with your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at the impact, like the environment at school and the environment at home are gonna make a much bigger impact than the ones every six month visit to the pediatrician
0: yeah totally great point okay so now I'm curious to hear more about how you serve and support your people now the people that you're working with like what what are usually the you know presenting problems and how do you support them
1: Yeah. So my clients tend to be people who have been told that there's something wrong with their body, which is most of us. And they've tried dieting because that's what people do when there's something wrong with their body, right? Naturally. Um, And they're over it. They don't want to diet anymore. They feel awful. They aren't sleeping well. They have potentially lost a bunch of weight and still hate their bodies and still feel like shit and so they're looking for something else and that is the bulk of my clientele are are people who are just fucking over it and so we work on what I mentioned earlier I am a certified intuitive eating counselor for people who don't know what intuitive eating is I really feel strongly that I would like to give some sort of definition because there are a lot of misnomers about intuitive eating. Please, um, the two things that I hear most commonly are that it's just a hunger and fullness diet. Which there is a principle that says honor your hunger. There is another principle that says feel your fullness. There are eight other principles, and so if we're not, if we're not utilizing all ten of the intuitive eating principles, then we're not actually being an intuitive eater. And it's not just about food. It is uh, coping with our emotions with kindness, respecting our body, finding joyful movement, honoring our body with gentle nutrition. So like all of it has to be in play for us to truly be eating intuitively. The other thing I hear is you, it just means you eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And it's like, well, yes, but also again, are we honoring our hunger and fullness? Are we honoring our body with gentle nutrition? Like, when we're eating intuitively, we are taking into consideration how foods make us feel and what we need and what is going to best respect our body. And I don't think any intuitive eating counselor is going to say, oh, yeah, just eat Twinkies all the time. Like that's not respecting your body or honoring your body with gentle nutrition. And also, Most of us are going to get sick of that after a couple days, and we're going to crave vegetables, right? So like, it's just, there's more to it than just eating whatever we want, whenever we want, and like eating when we're hungry and stopping when we're full. There's more nuance to it than that. There's more intuition that goes into it, right? It's called intuitive eating. So we have to actually use our intuition and listen to our bodies. so now that I've, I'll hop off that soapbox um, <laughs> and share that, like, w- the work that I do with my clients, whether it's one on one or in a group or in my membership community, is really practicing each of the principles in a way that supports their own healing, right? Like, I might have clients who come to me and they're like, actually, I feel really good about movement. Like we don't really need to spend any time on principle nine. And it's like, cool, then we don't need to do that. Like, let's look at what's really a struggle for you. Maybe it's coping with your emotions with kindness. And like, we can really focus on that. And it's bringing in those intuitive eating principles and helping them cultivate those so that they become intuitive because they won't start out being intuitive. We've been shutting up our intuition for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So we've got to rebuild that trust with our body and really start to, to cultivate the ability to be intuitive when it comes to
0: food and movement. Very well said. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. And I would imagine that um, coming from being a being trained in intuitive eating, the first thing is like, all right, let's talk about what it isn't before we talk about what it is, because that's (laughs) kind of how, you know, the culture is so black and white that it just like really neglects nuance everywhere (laughs) it possibly can. So I appreciate that. And I totally agree with everything you're saying. So I also am curious to hear before. So how did, when did you do the intuitive eating certification? So kind of a funny story
1: about that. I was sharing about the work that I was doing with my clients. This was probably the end of 2021. And people started asking me if I was like, oh, do you coach intuitive eating? Do you teach intuitive eating? And I was like, no, I didn't really know what it was. And so I finally after like the fifth or sixth time someone asked me and recommended the book, I bought the book and I read the book and I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I am kind of teaching intuitive eating. But in order to really kind of respect their work, the when I say they, I mean the two registered dietitians who founded uh, and developed intuitive eating in order to respect their work and really make sure that I was continuing to work in my scope of practice, I decided to do the certification program. So I did that in 2022. And I, I think officially got certified in December of 2022.
0: Cool. Yeah. Okay. So my next question is how did you moving through certification to do intuitive eating inform the way that you worked with people compared to what you were doing before did it shift things for you at all
1: yeah you know I think um I think the biggest thing was that I just felt more confident saying that I'm an intuitive eating counselor and like I can actually help you with this because without the certification it was like am I doing it right Right, right. I don't know if I'm doing it right. So I think it just allowed me to show up in a bigger way for my clients. And the other thing that is so valuable that I use all the time is that they provide us with, I think it was like 180 peer-reviewed studies on things like metabolic adaptation, why diets don't work, um, studies on, you know, the impact's Exercise has on health versus weight loss, and like weight loss doesn't actually change our health. It's really more about the health promoting behaviors because people love to argue. Which, I mean, rewind five years, that was me. I had so much internalized fat phobia and was like, "No, like fat people are lazy and they need to blow." Like, I. How do we not think that growing up in this culture, you know? And so now that I know better, I understand when people come at me and tell me I'm promoting obesity or whatever it is they like to tell me. And I'm like, hey, I actually have some studies on this if you're interested in reading them. And I'll pull little, you know, quotes from them. I'll cite them in my content. And that feels really important because... A lot of people talk out of their asses on the internet and being able to back up what I'm saying with years and years and years of research Mm -hmm. is like, okay, you take this and it's out of my hands, whether or not you decide to believe it. And like, that's not on me. I've done my due diligence. And, you know, sometimes clients want the research too. I had someone in one of my group programs that was like, hey, Um, can you send me some of those studies you were talking about on sugar addiction? Because I really feel like I'm addicted to sugar. And I was like, yeah, I can totally, you know, I sent her three different articles and she was like, wow. So it really isn't a thing. I was like, no, it's not. And she was like, this is great. Like it made her feel so much more empowered to be able to say like, okay, I do have control over this. Like I'm empowered to make a change. It's not actually an addiction. So it's been really useful to have that massive resource library to be able to pull things out of when I need them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Congratulations. I never found all that on my own. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. 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 yeah I as so many rabbit
1: it. holes as I go down, I like, I don't think I would have found these 180 peer reviewed studies that I now, you know, cite all the time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So I have this is like really interesting because I feel like there's a there's like two directions that this could go in. One is, I mean, I'm really curious to just hear more about like your work and how, you know, uh, how we can offer something to those who are listening. Yeah. Um and I have a few questions there, but I also hmm I'm trying <laughs> to figure out how to say this. I think a lot of people who are listening probably know this. I have a lot of, I have thoughts and feelings and opinions about kind of the whole intuitive eating movement. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, like I usually say, so there's one podcast episode that is specifically dedicated to intuitive eating and just kind of responding to all of it. So I'm not going to like reiterate all of that, but I think there's so much, so much good and important, really valuable work that is happening in the intuitive eating community. And it's such a huge step in the right direction. And I'm also curious to ask you about some of the, I'm like, now that I'm sitting here, right, with an intuitive eating coach, you've been through the program, you read the book, you know the principles, okay? (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm curious to follow up with some of what I wonder about, you know, in terms of like, how does, how would you respond to the following? Does that make sense?
1: I'm ready for it.
0: Okay. I so know that you are. So the first thing, well, we'll just start with, I read a post of yours recently. So speaking of nuance, Mm. right? Which is so (laughs) elusive. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I think is like the most important.
1: Dude, and I like live, I think you and I are both like this. I like live in the gray area. And like, this is inevitably going to piss someone off, but let's fucking go,
0: like whatever. (laughs) Okay. So this is, and this is why I also really just appreciate, not just this conversation, but like the content that you put out and the way, and I think a lot of the time, the things that you respond to that I post are also about like, yes, this is, it's all of the above. It's both sides. It's every, it's, you know, it's like, it's more nuanced than, exactly, exactly. So So speaking of that, one of your posts recently was talking about, you know, why do you want to lose weight? If someone says, I want to lose weight, right? And you're like, well, the first question is like, why? How will you feel? What's underneath it? All the things. And like, again, that's where you and I have that in common. I'm not just like taking it at face value. Like, you know, you want to lose weight and then like, let's jump in and do that because most of the time, like you said, you'll lose a lot of weight and still like hate your body and be miserable and feel unsafe. So Mm -hmm. totally aligned there. And. As you mentioned in the caption of your post, you know, someone like me, I used to be over 300 pounds, right? And so it's different, I think, when you are really like physically fucking limited and it's hard mm-hmm. to move around and all of the things. So what I'm saying is, as I've seen and I've experienced in my personal and professional life, yeah, there's a difference And that doesn't mean that one is more valid or important than the other. But if you have, you know, 10 pounds to lose versus 200 pounds to lose, you're not just living in a very different society and culture, but you're also living in a very different lived felt experience of, you know, fitting into an airplane seat or being able to ride a roller coaster, right? All those things. So Mm -hmm. what I'm curious about is as an intuitive eating counselor, who also has an appreciation and an integration of nuance. Mm -hmm. When someone is saying to you, you know, I want to lose weight, but I also am interested in intuitive eating. Mm. How, how do you meet them? What do you do with that?
1: Yeah. So this is a great question and I'm glad you asked it because something that a lot of people probably don't know is that I can actually lose my intuitive eating certification if I use intuitive eating as a weight loss tool with clients. Now, this does not mean that people who eat intuitively will never lose weight. That's not what that means. It means that I have to be very clear that this is not a tool to change our body. That said, My belief, based on the experiences that my clients have had and that my friends who have practiced intuitive eating have had and that I have had, is that when we are actually eating intuitively, our body will be the size that it needs to be. And this is why some people who adopt intuitive eating gain weight. Some people lose weight. Some people maintain their weight. and. I have found that typically if someone has a lot of weight, excess weight, if they start eating intuitively and living intuitively is really a better way to say it because as I mentioned before, it's not just about the eating, but like if we're coping with our emotions, if we're respecting our body, if we're honoring those hunger and fullness cues, if we're moving in a way that feels joyful, that's probably going to go away. And so- the way that I would approach that with a client is basically share what I just said. Like, hey, this isn't actually a tool to change your body shape. Let's see how these things are feeling for you and see what comes up. Because what normally happens is like, oh, I'm shoving my food in my face in four minutes and I'm not eating slowly and mindfully and I'm not paying attention to my hunger cues and I'm distracted. And like, all of a sudden we find the real issues, right? Like, it's usually not just a thing. And it's usually not the thing they think it is. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, cool. It looks like we have a really big area of opportunity here to eat slowly and mindfully and take your time. And then what happens is they don't overeat their digestion's better. They feel better. They have more energy and everything starts to kind of fall into place the same way that if I have clients who are underweight, whether it's from restrict, usually it's from restriction and eating disorders or disordered eating behaviors, they have been under eating and their body is not safe at that size. Mm -hmm. And once they start eating intuitively, a lot of times it requires gaining weight. And so that was a very long response. But yeah, really, you know, I would start there. And if someone feels like, okay, like I'm eating intuitively, I feel really good and I still want to lose weight, then I will probably refer out, honestly, just because I don't want the lines to be crossed from an outside perspective of like, oh, she's using intuitive eating to help people lose weight. Like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not doing that. That would be a totally different tool that I'm using with this person. But, you know, I know plenty of people who coach sustainable, healthy weight loss for people who actually truly want to lose weight and it's not happening on their own. Now, I will also take this opportunity to say, I've also found that if people are taking care of their bodies and eating intuitively and moving and sleeping and whatever, and they still don't feel right, time for some lab work and to see a specialist because it could be something like autoimmune disease or um, thyroid disease or something else is going on. Hormone imbalances that like might need a little bit different approach than simply eating intuitively. I'm all for having a a robust healthcare team.
0: (laughs) Very, very beautifully shared. Thank you for saying all that. So, this is where again, it's like it's really cool because I think very often it's like we're saying the same things, but in different ways. And I would say, I would echo every single part of that truly. And I would say exactly the same. And anyone who's like moved through my program knows that it's not about the weight loss, it's about the It's about the process of coming back into your body and the fact that we can't listen. Something I say all the time is like you can't listen to hunger and fullness, which are feelings that live in your body, if you are still resistant to sitting with happy and sad and anxious. Those are also feelings that live in your body. So ultimately, it's all about coming back inside, which is a journey but it's like you said it's not just intuitive eating this is exactly what i'm saying about kind of the whole thing is it's not just intuitive eating we can't isolate when we want to call on our intuition this is right. about intuitive living where you yes. are you know listening to your body and so i say it's like you're listening to hungry and full but you're also listening to like thirsty and tired and isolated and anxious and so it's like that's the kind of expanded you know version of how i understand kind of what needs to happen first and so totally totally aligned on like every single part of that which again is cool because um i think there's a part of me that still would expect to go about it differently but i i don't like i think everything that you just said is like all of the things so now having said that here's it's a good it's a good segue to my next question for you because this is the other thing i'll tell you my theory i'll tell you my theory and then I'll follow okay. it up with a question, okay? Okay, so- I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here for this. I love how ready you are for this. Okay, so my theory, and this is really based on just my own kind of personal experience, people that I know similar, right? So, and also I just want to say, even before I get into that, I am someone who can relate to so much of what you're saying because I have been the person, again, at twice the size that I am now, wanting to lose weight. I've also been the person who is underweight, starved, malnourished, lost my period and had to gain weight to restore my body. So I've been in both of those places where sometimes it was really losing weight. Sometimes it was gaining weight. And now Mm -hmm. I'm in a place where, you know, I, I live in the middle. I always I share, you know, I'm probably 30 or so pounds heavier than I was than the goal weight Jenny Craig set for me a million years ago. But it's like, you know, I think, so I'm just saying, like all of that is really valuable and very valid and something that I've just lived through myself is being someone that's been kind of all over the spectrum of body size and my relationship with it. So here's my theory. (laughs) That is, I think, intuitive eating as it's, you know, written about. Um, really works for some people and I think who it really really works for are the people who have been really like messed up by diet culture right because it's the first step right is like unlearning diet culture so mm-hmm. I think and and what that means for a lot of us is that if we've, in, if we've internalized so much diet culture, we're not paying attention to our body. We're not eating when we're hungry. We're not stopping when we're full, right? We're like calculating the calories and the points and we're so dissociated because we've been wrapped up in diet culture. So it's not just, you know, ha- do we have those thoughts? But it's about the fact and the way that it disconnects us from our own intuition, which is what you're saying, right? So then we unlearn diet culture, we start practicing honoring fullness and hunger and all the things, and we're coming back inside our body, right? So that's all really good. Now, what I've experienced, and this is what I'm really curious to just hear your thoughts on. There's no like, you know, this is, we're not debating anything. We're like, right? So what I am really curious about is in my experience, Then there's people who feel, you know, okay, in the first group of people, I think about like a friend of mine, who was like, really had like, you know, years and years of eating disorder, disordered eating history. She like read the intuitive eating book and was like, this is it. You know, like, (laughs) this is it. Like, I don't, you know, and it was almost like I watched her in some ways. And I don't want to like oversimplify it. But it was almost like she read the book and was like, I'm healed. Like I'm done. Like all this nonsense that was in my head. Like it's amazing. And I've seen that happen so many times, which is why I really think it's very liberating and empowering for so many people. Okay, cool. Here's my experience. Really early on in my life, when my family went through some big T traumas, right? And I was really young. And basically the only mechanism that I had for coping which really was not feeling, Mm -hmm. uh, was food and eating. And Mm -hmm. so really early, my relationship with food became more like food was a drug and food was the thing that helped me numb and dissociate and survive. And what I've seen in myself and with other people is that I don't know how intuitive eating lands. With someone who has a really, and I don't like to say food addiction or sugar addiction, because I know I'm very informed about, you know, all the studies you're referring to. But what about the addictive relationship with food? And this is where I think there, this is like a very meaty conversation to have that I think is really important, yeah. right? Because the same way I talk about it is I don't call it an addiction, but I do honor the brain science that suggests it's addictive right? And so the same way that we can use drugs and alcohol to cope and numb with our feelings, right? Well, someone who has an addictive relationship with alcohol is going to not bring alcohol into the home, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than like bring it all in and then just do it to a point where you're not, you know, where you don't want to do it anymore. So what I get really curious about genuinely is like that gray area of, is there a place, I guess this is what it boils down to, from an intuitive eating counselor perspective, is there a place for discipline around food? Is there a place for, I don't like the word restriction, but restraint. Is there a place for, I use this like a drug and in order for me to really stay intuitive and connected to my body, this is a food that I know I will, I don't even want to use the word binge, but like this is this is the mechanism that I use to disconnect from myself so I don't want to bring it home or something yeah. like that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I, I think I do. So this is a great question. And I want to start by just pointing out that like, n- there's nothing that works for everyone. Yeah, And I, just, I like want to call that out because I know some people in the intuitive eating space get very dogmatic about intuitive eating. And like, I wish that it would work for everyone. And like my goal with all my clients is for it to work for them and we just have such vast experiences as human beings that like it's definitely possible that it doesn't work for every single person in the world, right? So like I just want to call that out, even though we were all born intuitive eaters. Yes. There are things like big T trauma that A, it makes it unsafe to be in our body and feel our intuition and check in with how we're feeling. So a, a couple, I had a couple thoughts about that as you were, were sharing one is that I think just like with other things that are like, quote unquote, addictive that requires outside support. And so just like people who have an alcohol addiction go to AA and people with drug addictions go to rehab. Like I think therapy is really the best tool for that with people who are having those super like uncontrollable addictive responses to food. Yeah. And that intuitive eating can come later. Yeah. And I will also say that like, I, as a certified intuitive eating counselor, I am qualified to be on someone's team. If they have an active eating disorder, I cannot be their only provider. So like they also need to be working with a registered dietitian and a therapist. And so that sort of Um, challenge would not be something that I am working on with my clients. On a smaller scale, I think, um, and the, the founders of Intuitive Eating have actually shared this. So it's a book, which means it has to have some sort of chronological order, right? There has to be a place you start and a place you finish. When working with clients, the only things that are kind of quote unquote required, and again, this is like straight from Evelyn's mouth, is that we do have to start with releasing diet culture, rejecting diet culture, which is principle number one. And we have to end with honoring our body with gentle nutrition, because if there's still any sort of diet culture living in our brain, if we start to look at nutritional value of foods, it can become obsessive. So that has to be kind of the first and the last thing. Everything in the middle, principles two through nine, you can tackle in any order that works for you. So, in this situation, I would probably say we need to look at coping with our emotions. Yeah. And we need to build a bigger, more robust toolbox of coping mechanisms and stress management tools so that and food can still be in there. Like that's something that I reiterate with my clients too is like food can still be a coping mechanism. It just can't be your only coping mechanism. So like, let's find some other tools for our toolbox. And the next time you're like, I'm going to eat this whole container of Oreos, like just stop yourself and say, okay, what am I feeling? What do I need? Do I need to go outside? Do I need human connection? Am I feeling lonely? Do I need to punch something? Am I angry? Like really starting with that principle and getting really familiar with feeling those feelings again, if it's safe, if, if it's not safe, then like therapists can help with that. Um, but that would kind of be where I would start is like, we don't even need to talk about any of the other principles yet. Yeah.
0: Oh and man. So
1: much awareness, right? Like yeah. if someone comes in and I'm like, yeah, let's just start with principle number one and move through them in order. Like that's not going to serve them. And I can totally see then why someone would be like, intuitive eating doesn't work for me. Right. It needs to be personalized, and your and the counselor needs to be communicative and intuitive, right? Yep, like we have yep. to be intuitive, as, intuitive as the coaches, yeah, and say like, okay, a, do I need to recruit some help from another professional, and b, what would best serve this client right now?
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah. There's Thanks so much. Happening. Yeah, because not, this like. There's so much nuance and everyone's different
0: yeah which i think is i mean again it's it's like i'm processing this and like my brain is having such an experience right now because like this is a it's like i would say that the exact same thing and all of it is actually we're saying the same thing like it's just <laughs> yeah. you know and and so i think a i just want to take this also as an opportunity to acknowledge and honor you, you as an individual human being who's doing this work because of your just appreciation and openness for nothing works for everyone. Everyone is different. It needs to be personalized. There's no such formula that we can just put everyone through. And in my experience, the people that I've connected with who are, you know, in the intuitive eating movement have been so dogmatic, like you said, uh, Mm -hmm. condescending, judgmental, right? Because the people that see me and the fact that I've lost weight, I immediately become like the poster child for diet culture. And it's like, no, 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 that's not, it's it's not. And and so (laughs) it's, again, it's like, I'm just processing the way that like you and I, really see it very similarly because the one of the biggest kind of bones I've had to pick with it is that coping with your emotions in a healthy way is number eight. And so I held this judgment that I will own right now that is like, how can we do anything, right? If food is still a drug, if the only yeah. way that I feel safe to live in this world is by eating the whole box of Oreos, how can i think about literally anything else until i feel safe to feel my feelings without that you know reliance or dependence and so i just really appreciate what feels to me like someone finally coming along and saying well that would require something different that yeah. would require you know that would require more support that would require like additional help from mm-hmm. a licensed like certified person who knows what they're doing in that area and so it's like almost like an exhale in me that's like, okay, you know, they're not, they're not doing it in such a, um, you know, like, uh, what's the word? Like, like a way. yeah. So like that, I just, I appreciate you enlightening me and sharing that because it's funny when I think about how what you're saying applies to even like my group curriculum, like my program, the very, very beginning is about unlearning the culture. Like the very couple modules at the the start are looking at the culture, looking at how the culture influences our own brain science and our own psychology, and really breaking that down. Because again, totally agree but you can't do anything if you're still thinking diet culture, right? right? If you're like, still brainwashed. Right, exactly. we are still like, brainwashed. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so like, totally, else. that yeah. is so important. And again, for anyone who's listening, like if you are in any kind of struggle in your relationship with food, the first thing is unlearning it and, yeah. and really just waking up to the fact that all of that was a bullshit manual to begin with. But then- It's again, for me and the people that I work with who are mostly self-identified emotional eaters using food to cope, then it moves into like, how do we feel feelings in a way that isn't relying on food and eating, you know? And so it's really just taking a lot of the principles and shifting them around in a different order. And, and then it's, and then it's so aligned and it's just so important to, again, kind of start there. But that's why I asked this question is that I personally have experienced, and I think also have seen in other people, that there's this thing that happens where some people, like I said, some people unlearn diet culture and they're like, I'm free. This is amazing. Like, that's what I needed. And then some of us unlearn diet culture and are like so enlightened and awakened by that and then still have this thing where food is the primary or only coping mechanism. And there needs to be something more than just listening to your body at that point. Like We we need to just look at that and work on that. So yeah. I'm just I have so much respect for you and what you're doing and the fact that you can again I don't know it's it's it hasn't been my experience that someone who calls himself an intuitive eating counselor is even willing to have a conversation like this my personal experience is that it's very like these are their 10 principles this is what it is the end and I I really give you a lot of credit because I think you're doing really 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 important work and also being very ethical in how you move forward, you know, in, in the scope of practice and everything else. So just honoring you a lot. And thank you for doing what you do.
1: Thank you for that reflection. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now that I got all that out of the way,
1: so good it was so good I have a feeling people are gonna
0: listen and be like yeah 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 (laughs) yeah. to all of it and because I think this is like this is what happens when I think two individual people who have a capacity for nuance and and openness in general have a conversation that is like oh you know it's like it's like I think about like religions it's like people have different beliefs they identify as like this is what I am and then at the end of the day you sit down with two people from two different religions and it's like we're actually saying the same thing. Like, we actually believe a lot of the same we exact have thing.
1: different names for these things, but it's actually the same.
0: Yeah, yeah which is so <laughs> important and, like, so human. Okay, so just also, like, for the sake of time, because, like, I – we could be here for literally ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm just I'm curious, curious also, in everything that you just shared, is there anything else that just feels, like, really important that you want to – Speak to anything else kind of like on your heart you want the people to know before we wrap.
1: Yeah, I think I'll just say, since we've been talking so much about nuance um, and things that other people don't talk about, like this whole conversation about health and weight, again, like it turns black and white, right? So I just want to call out that like, there can be overweight people who need to lose weight. And there can be overweight people who do not need to lose weight, right? The same way that like, there can be people in small bodies who need to put on weight and eat more food. There are also people in small bodies whose bodies are just small. Like people can acknowledge that. I think more so with small bodies and large bodies, and it doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, they're just naturally thin, but why can't we just say, oh, they're just naturally fat? Like it's the same. So Like there's nothing wrong with needing to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight. And ultimately it's really just about like, is that actually in service to you or not? Yeah. And those things can all coexist, (laughs) which drives people crazy, (laughs) but like literally it's not that complicated. Like all of those things can be true simultaneously about different people in different bodies.
0: Beautiful. So important. Like, seriously, I just, I really, really appreciate every single word you're saying. And, and also what this, what this kind of comes back to for me in a lot of ways is it's not up to you, whoever you are, what is going on with someone else, period. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you in your own judgmental brain, because that's what it is, if you're looking at someone else and you're making a judgment about their body, no shame. That's the way the human brain works. It likes to categorize things and understand things, yada, yada. It's okay. But if you're judging that someone else is quote unquote too big or too small, all that is, is a reflection of your own judgment. It doesn't mean anything about what's going on with them. And also it's not up to you and it's not your thing. So I think very often that's the other thing that I notice in this conversation. Part of the reason it drives people crazy is because, in my opinion, it comes down to the epidemic of boundary issues. (laughs) That is like like we look at each other and are like, you should be different. I want you to be this way. And it's like, or you could take all that energy and bring it back to focusing on yourself, right? And like healing the codependent tendencies that we all have in this culture. So it's just everything can coexist. You don't know yes. what's going on with anyone else and all of that kind of headspace and chatter about how other things should be can just come back to coming back into your own body and spending time focusing on yourself. So just a plug for all of that. And <laughs> and I think you would agree, right, that like if it really triggers you to hear that all of this could coexist, if it really triggers you to hear that, you know, any of the above, using it as an opportunity to get really curious about what's coming up there, because that's the other thing that I just want to reflect and honor you for is it's very clear how much work you have done on yourself, your own internalized stuff around bodies, all the ways that you have grown and evolved to even be able to hold the space to have a conversation like this with, you know, so much like respect. And I just, I really am very, I'm like very proud of you. And I'm, I hope that there are more and more and more of you truly, because I think these are very important conversations and the work that you're doing is really valuable. I mean, retweet, (laughs)
1: like I love your content and I love that you've created the podcast and the programs that you have, like they're, (laughs) it's so interesting when people talk, other coaches talk about like, oh my God, there aren't enough clients. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, there's so many people who need this work. Like I need to, we need to be able to clone ourselves. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So like,
1: thank you also for your work.
0: Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Yeah.
0: I think you're going to come back because there's literally, we could do this for so many hours. So, (laughs) okay amazing. I so appreciate this. I'm like, really, I'm like, I'm just like sitting up a little bit taller right now. Um, okay. Before we go, where can the people find you? What do you have to offer? What would you like to share with everyone who's listening?
1: Yeah. So people can find me on the gram. That is where I spend most of my time. Uh, my handle is just m- basically my name, Lara.days, L-A-R-A.D-A-Y-S. And I have a membership that I am growing um, called the Nourished and Whole Collective. And it is the place for people who want to, to heal some of this and be able to experience a joyful relationship with food, movement, their body, and
0: themselves. Amazing. Thank you. We will have links for all of that in the show notes. So if you want to get involved, join her, follow her. I highly recommend and suggest it. And we will have those links for you. Anything else before we go, my friend? I just am really grateful to have had this conversation. Me too. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having
1: me.